marriage. They only saw each other for the first time on their wedding day. The bride was greatly disappointed when she saw the bridegroom for that very first time. And the bridegroom could feel it. That night, the first night in the bedroom, he told her that she need not accept him. He will take his belongings and sleep in another room. But before making sure that she was comfortable. The husband continued this daily for the next few months until one day the wife gave in. She decided to give the marriage a chance and the marriage turned out well. He won her over by the sheer force of his character and courtesy. Friends, what is the point in this true story? It is about expectations. You, my expectations in a relationship, in a family, in a marriage, in church. That photograph is that of my family taken 10 years ago, my mother's 70th anniversary. For 75 years, a group of researchers kept track of the lives of 724 men, their marriage, their career, their health, their emotions. And after 75 years and still continuing, 60 of these men are still alive and they are in their 90s. They wanted to discover what was the secret to happiness, to health in life. And what the researchers found was beyond their imagination that the secret to happiness and health is good relationships. These incredible findings of the Harvard study of adult development discovered that over and over again, it was really not good to be alone. You must be in a community. You must have a social circle. And being in a social circle is actually not enough. You must have good relationships, warm, loving relationships. Being in a toxic relationship is actually worse than going through a divorce. This surprising finding is that our relationships and how happy we are has a powerful influence on our health. Taking care of your body is important, but taking care of your relationships is equally or even more important. And I believe, friends, this is what reaffirms Scripture. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. And in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, to love one another as I have loved you. Today, friends, we celebrate your 62nd anniversary. As Brother Daniel told me this morning, a time to honour the past, a time to reflect on the past, treasure fond memories, but also a time to navigate the change where necessary. We give thanks for the blessings 
the pastors who have come here to serve, members who have come and gone, seeing our little rascals, the little children, grow up to become parents themselves, and hopefully no more being rascals. Some of us put on weight at the wrong places. We lose hair at the wrong places. The colour of our hair changes. In track, we have now 43 churches, three preaching points, 17,000 members. And this is our vision statement for the present quadrennium. Come, follow, become like Jesus. And one of the interesting strategies is this, to facilitate growth through relationships. When I come to church, what am I looking for? Do I come to be entertained? That's planet shakers. Do I look for relief for my trouble? Do I catch up with my friends like a social club? On the other hand, friends, do I see the church as a place where I see and meet fellow sinners, fellow persons who are equally broken and pitiful as I am, people who are also struggling with me, carrying each other, as someone described Jesus as a wounded healer. Do I see the church as a place or group of people who will welcome me as I am, accept me as I am, without checking whether I am fit, socially acceptable, holy enough to join in or be accepted? This morning, I walked into this sanctuary at 9am in my shorts and my Marvel t-shirt, my son's t-shirt. And I received such a warm welcome from your usher and brother CJ. I was expecting him to tell me, you cannot come here with shorts. But he gave me such a warm welcome. On fr Friday, when I arrived with my family, brother Erhong and sister Seok In took us around. So, such a warm and, and overfed us. A friend shared about struggling to come to church when he was going through a divorce until he discovered that the church is not a club with happy, problem-free families, but it's actually the opposite. A close friend of ours in our home church shared how Wesley Mlaka, my home church, was the only church where the pastor welcomed her after she shared her problems and her struggles. The funny thing about our faith is it is not a purely intellectual faith. It can only be lived in a community. What I mean is this, if I stop coming to church or stop communicating with fellow Christians, it is I who suffer. And I believe this morning's children's sermon illustrates this point. We cannot operate alone. How I see the church at one time many years ago, when I used to come to church, I came like a consumer. I came to see the quality of the sound system, the singing of the worship leader. I came to be entertained. Can I catch something that morning from a pastor before my mind will wander away? I hardly came to beat God. I didn't expect or intend 
to meet God in church. For some, we let disappointments in church overtake us, destroying our faith in Christ. When a person feels betrayed and hurt, hurt by another church member, which I believe many of you have experienced, hurt by hurtful re remarks, and some mentioned by the hypocrites in church, or simply I get nothing from coming to church. Or some we see the church as a place to meet friends, people of the same social status, same language, people I can gossip with and build my business network. I fail to see the church as a family where we are all just temporarily here, a family which is far from perfect. The first principle is this, that the church is a place where we all have to face our storms together, storms in life together, without having to pretend that everything is fine. I've learned that a church should be the place where I and anyone can feel comfortable and not be afraid to come to ask for help and companionship, knowing that the people in church are equally empathetic, people who can feel the pain and struggle. Members in my church used to ask me for legal advice, and I realized the personal struggles they were going through, that not everything was going well, until my own family experienced a crisis, and I was greatly humbled when some members of my church, whom I hardly spoke to, came privately to share and journey with us. Alcoholic Anonymous, how it all started. There was a businessman who was struggling to give up drinking, so he succeeded for six months until one day he had to go to another city to settle a business deal. The business the deal didn't turn out well, so that night he was actually very depressed and he, wanted, he was so tempted to turn back to alcohol until the idea crossed his mind to contact another alcoholic, a doctor friend. And that's how they started AA. The key point in this support group is this, to find another person struggling with you. AA has 12 steps based on Christian principles. The first is this, admitting we are powerless to overcome our alcohol, alcoholic addiction. So similar in our faith, we acknowledge that we are all sinners. The second is this, only God can help us. Similarly in our faith, we recognize the redemptive power of Christ. And third, surrender ourselves to God. AA actually tells those who don't believe in God that they must surrender themselves to a higher authority. This made me reflect when I'm down, where I face a hopeless situation, like an alcoholic or a drug addict, I must acknowledge the problem, ask God for help, and surrender ourselves. I've learned this, what we should be looking for in church so when we step into the sanctuary this morning, we start singing and praying. God is the audience. We are not the audience. And I learned that we must change from within. One writer, Walter Wing, says this, to worship 
is to remember who owns the house. What matters most is what takes place within our hearts. And I realised simply that how should I correctly see the church as a place that I have the right relationships. Psalms 51, 17 captures this well. What God is interested in is our heart, a heart of submission, repentance, brokenness. Friends, the church is our family with all its imperfections. With this, we learn to set our hearts on living in church, practicing authenticity, mutuality, and sympathy. Dr. Tim Kimmel, a speaker at a recent D6 conference, warned of the falling dangers in church. He called them poison, rachun, poison. The first is the poison of comparison. Comparison can be either envy or embarrassment. Comparing ourselves, like why is his wife looks younger every year? Why is her husband so obedient, unlike mine? Or embarrassment. I feel so embarrassed to come to church because I just lost my job. Then we have the poison of judge, being judgmental, the habit of condemning others. We always classify others as hypocrites, call themselves Christians, never smile at me in church. My pastor always shakes hands with those who drive in big car. No, not true, huh? that's a joke, sorry. Okay. My home church, I always laugh when the ushers tell me some of our members call themselves Christians, always double park, don't know how to park, yeah? irritate the ushers. Every Sunday, same nonsense. Uh -huh. Without seeing the goodness in others, without acknowledging the grace of God. And then we have the third poison of prosperity, which I myself am guilty of, the ambition of wealth, worldly success. We want our children all to have all A's. We rush to send them tuition. Cannot we even be five minutes late. Whereas we come for church service half an hour late. And a youth pastor in my church shared this interesting. He asked the young people, do you see Christians in Malaysia being persecuted? And this Form 4 60-year-old boy said, Pastor, you don't see Christians in Malaysia being persecuted because we ourselves are no different from the non-Christians. And that was a really eye-opening statement. Our beloved bishop, Dr. Ong, said this at a recent Leiti conference. He said this, we should not let our failures define us, but let our failures bring us together. And I am reminded, many years ago, they had an interfaith conference in UK where they had leaders of various ma major religions come together. And all of them agreed that all religions teach the same thing, being good and kind. Until at the last session, C.S. Lewis, our Christian writer, said this, it is only in the Christian faith where we emphasize grace. God's love with no strings attached. 
And this is what our faith is all about. I must love my family, my fellow believers, despite how irritating, how stubborn, how unlovable, how unattractive they may be. And I believe once we understand it, the journey is easier. Is there grace and hum humility? Would I welcome a person who walks into my church? This happened to me once in my home church. A person who really smelled. He hadn't taken a bath for, I believe, one week. I didn't know how to welcome him. Do I build good relationships with my own family members, with members of my church, members in my workplace? How do we welcome newcomers? And this challenge which we face in track, and I've been told in other churches, why our children do not, are not attracted to coming back to our home church when they grow up. It is a struggle. In church, we practice authenticity. Not superficial, not just chit-chat, but heart-to-heart -heart sharing. Share our hearts, our failures. We ask for help. We don't have to feel embarrassed. We are vulnerable. Several years ago, our home church, we organized an evangelistic dinner where we invited Gurmit Singh, Hua Chu Kang, the famous Singapore comedian, PCK Private Limited, the best in Singapore, JB and Batam. And I had the opportunity to sit with him just for half an hour before his presentation. And I asked him one question, how is it life being a celebrity? He's a Christian, and he came from a poor family. And he said this, uh, he said this, I'm very glad I met my wife before I became famous. And he said that it hurts because I cannot build authentic relationships with people. When I'm famous, a lot of people come to see me. And he mentioned his old friends who never contacted him until he became famous. They always wanted something from me. In 1 John, one, seven to eight. If we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we shall have fellowship with each other. Friends, we live an open life, not in darkness, not in pretense, but in courage and humility, meaning we face our fears, fear of rejection, exposure, and being hurt, being hurt again and again. We must learn to face discouragement. We have two choices. When discouragement comes, we either let discouragement take away our focus from God, from our family, let it overwhelm us, let it destroy us, or with the discouragement, bring us closer to God. Give God a chance to come back into our lives and teach us to value who we have. Children, we learn, are the best barometer of authentic relationships. A friend shared how the two children saw their parents coming to church, praising God, being polite to everyone. And then when they reached home, they were quarrelling with each other, gossiping about the other members. And then they expressed this. How authentic are my parents in their relationship with others? 
Friends, the second is in church, we practice mutuality. It means learning to give and take, the art of receiving and giving. We learn to share responsibilities, we learn to help each other. For me, my own journey, when I started my work, I was so career-focused. I was just a Sunday Christian until a crisis came into my life. And then I started coming back to serve in church. And my whole perspective to life changed. I learned to treasure what is more important, my family, my walk with God, rather than wealth which just goes away in time. And I realized that we are all here temporarily. When I saw a friend of mine died in the prime of his career, that actually opened my eyes again. The key verse this morning is this, how God designed our bodies as a model for understanding life together as a church. We depend on each other. The parts we mention, the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. And God put each one of us here for a reason. We have all, we have all specific roles to play. And I am reminded that the New Testament commands us more than 50 times to do to one another. Third, in church, we experience sympathy. Sympathy is not just giving advice. Quick, cosmetic help. It's not just feeling sorry for that person. Sympathy is sharing the pain with the person, journeying with the person with genuine love and concern. I believe many of you have said these words. I understand what you're going through, my dear sister, my precious brother. What you feel is neither strange nor crazy. And sympathy meets two fundamental human needs. The need to be understood and the need to have your feelings validated. I believe when each of us understands and affirms the other's feelings and pain, we build relationships. Brother Daniel shared with me last night on your Alpha program, and a very interesting point was this, where you get helpers for the next Alpha coming from those who have not yet accepted Christ. And that, that is the beauty of it. You draw people because of relationships. They did not have accepted the Lord, but they have been drawn by the relationships they built. In sympathy, friends, we help to walk with a person in time of grief, pain, struggles. We give the person encouragement, a shoulder to cry on, and we facilitate the process of receiving and healing. We give the person hope. But please beware that sympathy becomes difficult when we want to fix things quickly without taking time. And I believe you, many of you have experienced everything takes time. Or we ourselves are caught in our own self-pity. Some persons have told me that I have enough problems on my own. I don't have any more energy to walk with so-and-so. She has got all her other friends. Let her find another shoulder to cry on. In Galatians 6, 2, share each other's problems, troubles and problems. Friends, so we share the burden together 
We share the sorrows together and we journey together. The family is the foundation of the church. The funny thing about families is this, you cannot choose your family members. You get in by just being born into that family. We are thrown in together by force, not by choice. We have different characters, different bad habits, but the same family, same surname, same way of walking. But the church goes one step further. We voluntarily choose to come together because we are followers of Christ. Again, we are thrown in together. Different characters, different bad habits, but followers of the same faith. So in both situations, we journey together. Like a family, as in a church, failure does not cancel membership. In a family, as in a church, we carry each other's pains, joys. We carry each other's utang to along. We learn from the passage today where Paul writes that the church is like the human body. We need each other. We depend each, on each other. We coexist. We tolerate each other. We bear with one another. But we remain and journey together. The board of laity recently re-emphasized on family ministry. Family ministry means we have to work together. Family ministry is an umbrella ministry consisting of all the various ministries such as youth ministry, women's ministry, MSF, worship, all the ministries. And we need to focus to consolidate, to call it family ministry. And we, we realise that the family is the primary discipler. We notice that the traditional belief is this, that the duty of discipling each person comes from the pastor and the church. But then we realise that it is the family which is the primary discipler. So we have to initiate a paradigm shift. We must change this thought. The task of making disciples is the family first, not our, not our poor pastor or the church. The family means the biological and spiritual family. Bio, biological meaning father, mother, brother, sister, grandparents. Whereas the spiritual family is many of you here who have brought other people to Christ. So the duty of discipling starts with us, the family. The church and the clergy mainly assist. They assist. So friends, we view families as the foundation of a successful society. Today, I believe more than ever before, the family is under great attack. Social media, parents have no time for their children. Lack of clear moral values, conflicting moral values. You get unhealthy families, you get unhealthy churches. YB Henayo, Deputy Minister of Family Affairs, Children, Women and Family Affairs, at our GC Leyte Convention, noted this, uh, based on official government statistics, 
that 60, more than 60% of divorce in Malaysia, the reason is finance, money. And the main culprit for child abuse in Malaysia is the child's own mother. So why? This clearly indicates that the couple were never prepared for marriage, financially prepared, emotionally prepared. And it is the poor mother ultimately which carries the brunt of taking care of that child. And interestingly, YB Hannah said this, if we don't educate our children and families, Satan will educate them. But many of us here have said, what do you expect us to do? How do you expect us to disciple our children? My children are all grown up. I'm in fact a grandparent. We believe it is not too late. Dr. Yi, one of our district lay leaders from Seremban Methodist Church, he shared this inspiring story. There are a couple of grandparents in his home church with nurtured, who nurtured and discipled their two little grandsons. Until such a time when the two little grandsons' parents were so inspired that they came back to church. So it is not too late, even if our children are grown up. Pray with them. And I believe this I, Bishop Ong also told me that we must repent for not doing enough. Not doing enough in spending time discipling our children, our members, our good friends here in church. But we must continue, and I believe we can do. The church offers hope for today's family. A Chinese Hokkien pastor, a friend of mine in Melaka, shared about how he started a WhatsApp message for his children who are working out of Melaka. Every day he would share a short verse and a short message and started spreading. His members picked it up and sent it to their own family members. Friends, the church offers hope for today's family by educating family members the, of the role they play in their homes and communities. We equip